Hi, this is James. Just before we start, I wanted to remind you that you can read our articles, explore more podcasts, and learn about our online personal and management development programs and workshops by visiting our website, www.worldofwork.io. All right, on to the podcast. Hello, this is James. And this is Jane. And here we are again with another episode of the World of Work podcast. What are we speaking about today, Jane? Well, today we have one of our favorite guests back, Dr. Richard McKinnon. And today we are talking about anxiety. Nice. I think it's something that a lot of us have experience of and a lot of us know people who have experience of. Uh, So let's get into the conversation. Okay, so here we are in the main body of today's podcast, and we are back with Dr. Richard McKinnon, um, who we spoke to uh, in the past about procrastination. Today, we're going to be exploring another subject that we think is really important, um, and today we're going to be speaking about anxiety. Before we get into that and explore what anxiety is and, and why it's so relevant in 2020 and some of the things we can do about it, um, Richard, would you be able to introduce yourself again to the audience and say a bit about your background and what you're working on at the minute? Yeah, no problem. Um, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm Richard. I'm a, a chartered psychologist and a coaching psychologist. Uh, I spend the majority of my time helping people in the workplace with their productivity, with their well-being, uh, to help them be as effective as they can be. I often put it in terms of them being their best selves you know, um, at work. And that, that's dealing with lots of the challenges. One of them we'll be talking about today. Um, and I provide those services in terms of maybe coaching one-to-one or running some training for a group or uh, contributing to or creating um, a longer-term development program. And I've been doing this for about 20 years now. Cool. Thanks, Richard. That's um, that's helpful. And, and I know a lot of people really enjoyed our last episode, so we're pleased to have you back. Um, let's let's jump into the, the core of the subject and, and start to talk about anxiety itself. And I guess the first question that I'd like to put to you is... Um, is what exactly is anxiety? And, and are there different scales? Is there clinical anxiety and I guess non-clinical less anxiety? What are your views on on anxiety and, and the scales that it can take? So, I mean, simply put, all of these things can be uh, expressed on a continuum and virtually everyone will experience some anxious thoughts and feelings from time to time. And um, as, a, as an occupational or workplace psychologist, my, my focus is working with clients whose anxiety sometimes gets between them and them being their best selves. And it's maybe preventing uh, them from doing something they want, they want to do or performing at their best. But of course, down the other end of that, that continuum, you've got people whose anxiety maybe prevents them from getting out of bed in the morning or for leaving the house, or it, it prevents them from interacting with people. So it, it's on a continuum. Um, I'm not a clinical psychologist. And today I'm not talking about anything where someone would get, uh, air quotes, a diagnosis. I'm talking about the kind of anxiety that pops up from time to time, deeply unpleasant. We don't like it. There's a reason for that. And um, it's how we respond to that. That's really important. So anxiety is when our mind spots and responds to a threat. And anxiety is the alarms going off uh, across various systems. And, And those systems are impacted by the way we think, what we focus on, what attention we give to things, down to physiological things like blood flow, muscle tension, uh, how we express ourselves and our emotions. And so anxiety can be quite an overpowering sensation uh, all the way down to like a little bit of an itch at the back of our brains. Um, and those threats, and this is the most important thing, those threats could be something that's immediate and tangible in the room with us, or more likely 
uh, in the workplace, it can be something that's imagined and future oriented. So something that hasn't happened yet. And because of the way our minds work, our minds give us a very detailed, compelling image of the future. And we have the feelings here and now as if it was in the room with us. And of course, that's unpleasant. And so we want to avoid that. And that's often where a problematic cycle starts. That's really interesting. That's quite a comprehensive, helpful um, introduction to anxiety. Do you think that uh, a lot of the people that, that we speak to and we engage with, do you think that they, they know what their anxiety is and know what the signs to look out for are? Do you, do you think people have a, a consistently similar experience of anxiety or do you think it varies? I think, yeah, they're, they're really good questions because on the one hand, we, we, all have, uh, a, we all have the same response because our minds you know, work in a very similar way and our bodies work in a very similar way. I think the differences are the extent to which we let the anxiety be in the driving seat and have a very strong impact on our behavior and the extent to which we even identify these things as being anxious because sometimes anxiety shows up in in ways that aren't maybe stereotypical when i talk about anxiety to people sometimes they don't want to uh, own that label you know and and it's not about labeling them as a person but talking about an experience and, and it has negative connotations for them. That's fine. It could be worries. It could be thoughts about the future. But also, sometimes the behavior doesn't show up as being worried, you know, in a stereotypical withdrawing way, but much more so in an irritable, short-tempered, maybe even slightly aggressive way. And that's a function of anxiety, too. So while the root is very similar, how it shows up can be different. And, of course, the causes can be very different depending on what our minds think is a threat. Do you think it affects different people in different amounts or do you think it's it's purely a product of um, situation that we find ourselves in? It, it's definitely part of the person we've grown to be. So uh, our life's experiences will contribute to our response to stuff that's going on around us or that we think about. And if we've, um, so for example, you know, just before we started this conversation and on the back of a conversation I had this morning, I was feeling a bit of anxiety. I was feeling anxiety that what I was going to say was going to be recorded and then shared with lots and lots of people. That anxiety, I, I would say is helpful because it helps keep me focused on the task at hand. And I'm definitely not trying to multitask while we're doing this. So there can be a, a helpful bit of the mind saying, oh, hold on, hold on, pay attention to this because it's important to you. And that's often the kind of anxiety that shows up when someone says, I've got to do a big presentation or I've got a one-to-one -one with my boss or I'm going for an interview. You know, it can be helpful. It's when the anxiety becomes really loud and the instructions become really loud or the threats in our mind that it impacts our behavior and therefore impacts our performance and it's doing the opposite instead of us uh, or instead of helping us focus on the here and now it's painting us a picture of how it's all going to go terrible while we're in the middle of it and so i i, I paint a picture uh to to people that your mind is trying to help you your mind is trying to tell you this is something to be aware of and to avoid if you can but it's not great at communicating. So it's a bit of a blunt instrument and it goes warning, warning, warning and activates lots of things that we, we don't really feel we've got control over. And so the threat could be 
someone appearing at the window you're not expecting. And it could be um, seeing, uh, you know, I, I had this example a few weeks ago, seeing an ad for a job that's the same as yours and thinking, is that my job? Am I going to yes. lose my job? Boom, and into a cycle. Yeah. And I've got, I've got a question for you. So, so when we're like seeing some of these signs of things that could be anxiety and, and maybe feeling some of these um, things that you're speaking about, is, is there any way that we can sort of refine and know that what we're feeling actually is anxiety? Are there any things that we should look at sort of drilling down into to help us um, frame what we're feeling as anxiety and, and then know that we can address it um, as if it were anxiety? If, if it's that there are, and, and if it's that occasional kind of spike, I, I use the image of it's, a, it's a, a light going on on the dashboard to tell you something's not great, mm -hmm. your expectations haven't been met, or this is a threat, that light doesn't tell you what to do next. And so if you feel a bit stuck, if you feel a bit overwhelmed, it can be good to get specific. So mm -hmm. in the very short term, take a few slow, deep breaths to try and calm yourself from a physiological perspective, from a bodily perspective, and then get specific. Get specific about what your mind is telling you. Listen out for the, the sounds, the language, the images, and to try and see them for what they are, to see them as the thoughts, um, to label them as predictions, threats, evaluations, uh, memories. Anything you can do to help see the thoughts as thoughts rather than instructions puts a bit of distance between you and them and then allows you to make a decision that's going to be helpful to you in that situation. So, for example, you know, the busy mind that many people feel when they're trying to, to drift off to sleep is not helped by you wrestling with that busyness and, and trying to deny those thoughts and remove them. It's the same with anxiety. You know, fighting it uh, means that you're then getting anxious about getting anxious. And it, 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 can, uh, it can get into a cycle like that. From an attitudinal perspective, rather than trying to reduce it, push it away, change it, or debate it, it can be useful to see it as part of you, a normal experience, and that's why it's so useful to talk about it, but to see it's, it's normal. I understand why this is happening to me. I don't like it. Uh, I don't want it to take over, but I'm going to let it play out. And there's a point with this at which you realize, oh, this is as bad as it gets. The problem is when we don't let it get that far and what we do in response to those thoughts and feelings makes life a bit worse for us. So that's avoiding situations permanently, um, you know, using unsustainable coping strategies like substances, um, like uh, maybe taking emotions out on people rather than having important conversations, maybe not advancing your career because you, you don't want the, the anxiety that comes with the interviews that are part of that. All of that is trying to avoid something that's not necessarily dangerous or painful, but our mind is telling us you, you just, this is the worst possible thing that could happen to you. So, so those are some of the, the, I guess, the more short-term or immediate impacts that we see as a result and, and some of the coping mechanisms and some of the negativity uh, of outcome that we can see in that space. What about sort of longer term? So if, if we are anxious over a prolonged period of time in that, in that sort of um, almost uh, hypervigilant questioning, searching state for a longer period, what kind of impacts can that have on us? It's, it's often with a, with a bunch of things, actually. I mean, for a start, 
that state's exhausting. You know, anyone who's felt a bit anxious about something that's quite imminent will know that it takes a lot out of you physically as well as uh, emotionally. And so there's no one clear path here. But, you know, if you think about if you extrapolate from how someone might try to cope with this, it might be that the picture is one where their life is getting smaller and smaller because they're trying to avoid situations where they will feel a bit anxious rather than acknowledging that while well, the anxiety is along for the ride here, it's part of the experience of being interviewed or part of the experience of asking someone out on a date. You know, there's anxiety involved there as well. So the, the path is one where life gets a little bit smaller. We're, we're avoiding situations that we associate with it and we're not learning to accept uh, anxiety as part of the package of doing meaningful stuff in our lives. Richard, I wanted to ask you about the world right now. So we're recording this at the back end of 2020 and the world is a complex and constantly changing place. What impact do you think that's having on people's experience of anxiety? If, if I think about conversations I've had with clients this year, just the last six months, um, the words that come out all the time are uncertainty, uh, ambiguity and control. People don't know what's going to happen in so many domains of life. There's no sense that this is finite. It's very ambigu ambiguous. It's you know, hanging over us. And people feel a really disempowering lack of control as to what's going on. And that could be the what one person might find quite small, like I, I can't go to that cafe or uh, and someone else might, might find really, really difficult, like I'm, I'm worried about the security of my job or my spouse's job, or I'm worried about my health. I'm worried about the health of my parents. And what's happening is that where we might find refuge in one aspect of our life, it might be our home life, our, our personal life, because professional life is a bit tough. At the moment, there's real sources of anxiety from multiple domains all happening at the same time. This becomes a challenge when instead of facing up to that and acknowledging a lack of control and acknowledging that it is uncertain and, and ambiguous, if instead we try and control the uncontrollable, uh, that's not going to lead to, to, to a happy outcome. And it's not a great use of our attention and our, and our energy. And so people report regularly this sense of being uh, a bit tired or the other uh, flip side to that is the, you know, diving into work headfirst and pedaling super fast because that's something they can do in the face of all of these other things. But that's that, that um, hyper busyness uh, can be a way of avoiding thoughts and emotions that you don't want um, those, the, that, that source of discomfort. And do you think given all of these additional, I guess, uh, stimulating or contributing factors that can, can give rise to things like anxious thoughts, do you think in 2020 there's a lot of people who uh, may be experiencing this for the first time or maybe becoming aware of it being an issue for them for the first time? It could well be. It could well be. I mean, I've, I've no data to support that, but I think it's easy to imagine someone who has been, you know, fairly resilient up till now and has dealt with the challenges that life has laid out for them in, in an okay way. And there may be they've reached a point where they think, I don't know what else I can do now because there's so many things happening and all of the skills I've used 
to date, like working hard or studying hard or saving or um, anything else, like investing in, in, in my, my time in sport, whatever it might be, they're not going to work for me now and I don't know what to do. And, and so it's really useful. Uh, maybe counterintuitively to acknowledge this isn't something I can control. This isn't something really I can influence. I need to make my world a little bit smaller and focus on that stuff that is in all probability good for me. So it sounds a little bit like there are both many more factors around at the moment that are likely or have, we have some idea might cause people additional anxiety and people have a lot less tools at their disposable because of some of the changes that are taking place within 2020, which sounds like a really challenging situation. What um, Are there uh, practical ways that people can take care of extra care of themselves generally uh, at the moment in this sort of really changing period? Yeah, I think, you know, just in a very general sense is to consider your well-being and consider it in a holistic and joined up way. So it's it's your psychological life, your emotional life, your relationships, your your physical well-being, your um your your work-life balance, the you know how the two domains interact. Um and to consider what it is that you need. Um sleep is being disturbed for so many people uh this year because of all of these worries and all of this change. Um so to prioritize that and invest in sleep because it is a great bonus for our physical and our psychological well-being and and then to pay attention to anxiety uh, you don't even have to call it that you call it the worries that show up whatever it is notice it notice when it shows up notice when it doesn't notice the things that are concerning you speak up when you find something difficult uh, speak to someone a friend uh, a colleague not you don't have to frame it in terms of anxiety but just i'm i'm concerned about this this worries me and you might get another perspective on it what we want to avoid though when 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 helping other people i tell you what doesn't work uh for anyone is to be told to calm down or cheer up right so that that, that, that hasn't <laughs> worked in there, the history right? of uh, humankind we've all been there and we've all done it right <laughs> exactly so actually if you want to support someone who, who's feeling this uh even if they don't use the anxiety word um avoid that instructional approach and just ask them what they need and if if they come to you with you know this is all a bit overwhelming don't try and solve that because there's a good chance they've thought of the things you're going to suggest. Maybe just try to see it from their perspective. Maybe just listen for a while without judging them, without trying to solve the problem, whatever the problem is. Um, if it's in the workplace, remember the anxiety might be nothing to do with work. It could be 100% about home life or, or family life. And if you're a manager or a team leader, you know, it's a really good time this year to re-familiarize yourself with the sources of support that your organization has invested in, whether that's uh, mental health support, occupational health, psychotherapy, whatever it might be, and understand how you can join someone up uh, with those sources and, and be prepared to refer them to those professional sources. Your empathy is great, but don't let that spill over into feeling that you can somehow uh, reduce that anxiety for them. It's really interesting you mentioned that because I, I was involved in a conversation with um, a number of HR human resources uh, professionals who were discussing where the line goes between just listening and signposting versus like trying to solve them. That we all mm. as humans quite often try and solve problems or try and help people, and actually all they want to do is be heard. Sometimes, well, th this is at the root of of 
of anxiety, we have problem-solving minds. And so those things that show up inside of us, our mind goes, well, we need to do something with this now. Rather than, well, that'll be gone in a while. You could just leave it. It will it will go on its way. It will fade. It's our It's our attempt to view our inner states, our inner experiences as problems that need to be solved. That is so often at the root of this stuff. Uh, now it's, you know, as a human, I can say it's it's not very nice to feel anxious and it's very difficult to get into this stance of, well, this is normal, it will pass, and I've got something more important to focus on than avoiding this, but it can be done. These are skills I'm talking about. Um, and I think there's a chance that this year is a great year, if nothing else, to sort of normalize this and to speak openly about, you know what, I've just had one of those weeks where it's all a bit much, or all of this news is, is piling up, and I've got a lot of worries about next year. And to have conversations about that, that illustrate to more people that, yeah, this is how our minds work. They flag this stuff up for us. And um, it can be a bit exhausting. And I just wanted to ask you about, so you mentioned a little bit earlier, and you've kind of already alluded to this, that there is power in simply being aware of it and being able to either put a name to it or at least acknowledge it. And I just wanted to ask you, because you, you you said quite carefully, you know, they might call it anxiety or they might choose not to. So I wanted to ask you a little bit about um, whether it's whether it's a benefit to both be aware of it, but also be able to put a name to it and, and put words to describe the feelings and, and well, why you, why you yeah. distinguish between maybe naming it and maybe not. Well, naming is, is really um, important. You know, our, our thoughts are based on language. And so we use words to describe what it is that's going on inside of us. I would distinguish that where it's really useful to say, hey, you know, my mind is giving me all these images about something that hasn't actually happened yet. It's out of my control. I'm going to choose to focus over in this direction because those images aren't so helpful versus labeling a person or labeling yourself. I'm too anxious to do X. I'm anxious now, so I can't do Y. Or you're anxious, so I'm not going to ask you to do A, B, and C. Avoiding labeling the person, maybe talking about behaviors, maybe talking about emotions and differences that you've noticed, but um, really just um, t talking about the experiences and how they, they are human experiences. And again, I'm talking about the day-to-day -day worries, but not everyone, yeah, not everyone wants to talk about anxiety. Remember, they just talk about, oh, it's all a bit much, or it's a bit uncomfortable, or this worries me, or the worries are stacking up, you know, all, all of that stuff in that department, uh, we can we can look at in a similar way. Given that this is all around us this year, and, and you know, we've got a range of additional factors that stress and increase our anxiety, is there anything that I guess senior leaders and organizations can be doing to kind of balance or mitigate or support or shape effective cultures for their teams in this time to minimize? Yeah, I mean, we're, what, seven months and a bit into yeah. um, a global crisis. So, you know, I would hope that, that most leaders have thought about well-being uh, at some point uh, already. However, you know, if this is prompting you as a leader to think about this, have a think about the, the well-being support services that you're making available. Um, are they uh, equally accessible by everyone in your organization? Do people know about them? Are they good quality? Um, maybe proactively reach out to the organization with more opportunities to build 
emotional literacy, you know, to, to, to be able to know feelings and name them and, and describe them, uh, to, to build psychological flexibility, to be able to adapt to changing circumstances and persist through discomfort um, and, and anything that contributes towards resilience. Because we talk about 2020 as if the 31st of December will be a neat end. <laughs> don't, don't ruin it for me. I don't <laughs> want to spoil it. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry to smash that illusion on the rocks of reality. But, um, you know, this is something that if you, if you start today, that's fine. It's going to continue for a while. And these are, these are life skills, teaching people how to deal with setbacks, challenges, how to deal with what hasn't even happened yet. These are, these are key skills. Um, and I think now's a, now's a good time to move out of panic or crisis mode and look at this as business as usual. Taking care of people while the world is a bit messed up, you know, is, is part of running an organization. And, you know, as individuals, we can get, um, we can all build these skills. And I know a really simple thing that people can start to do is, is as I alluded to earlier, notice how we treat those inner experiences. I am anxious is very different to, I notice there's a bit of anxiety there, or I notice my mind keeps giving me images about something that hasn't happened yet. Each of those is a little bit like mentally stepping back to see the bigger picture, more distance between us and the stuff our mind is giving us. And I, I use the phrase intentionally because if it's giving it to us, well, we can decide whether we want to do something with it or just let it be. And that, with a few slow, deep breaths, can be a really nice way of just stepping away from that really, really panicky, panicky anxiety that nobody likes. And it, it's that's very helpful for helping us as individuals and, and some guidance for leaders there. If you're a manager in a team, are there things that maybe you can think of as red flags or other ways that, that might just help you? be aware of, of somebody's level of anxiety, even if they don't express it or think about it, things you can watch out for and, and use as a signal to increase your support. Yeah, and, and these are things um, I maybe wouldn't flag against uh, anxiety only. These okay. are things where anyone might be having a hard time of things. So any sudden behavior changes in, in the workplace, maybe sudden absenteeism or sudden long hours, um, changes to how and when they communicate, keep an eye out for that. Um, maybe some more avoidant behavior, avoiding certain events or certain tasks that they've competently done before. Uh, and maybe any of that increased um, irritability or aggression um, that you wouldn't characterize as uh, typical for that person. Those kinds of things can be um, maybe not red flags, but indicators that, hey, that, that might be a bit tough for that person. And I think maybe I'll proactively ask them, are you okay? Uh, do you need anything? Is there anything I can do to help? That way we can avoid any labels. We can just notice that that person has, um, their behavior has changed. And you know what? They might not even realize it themselves. Yeah. Yeah, I can, I can really relate to being in that situation where I've not noticed where I've gotten myself emotionally. I, I think that's something that, that can happen fairly often. Um, I've got a question. Like if we're going to, I think we're going to move on to talk a little bit about dealing with anxiety and some of the ways that we can manage it. Um, but if somebody is maybe feeling a little bit anxious themselves or, or starting to, to feel some of these thoughts and notice some of these thoughts or be able to put names to them and they want to have a conversation with somebody about it, that can be a little bit intimidating. How, how do you think people 
can most uh, comfortably start a conversation with somebody else about their own anxiety? How do you open up about anxiety or, or how have you seen that done done well? Yeah. And, you know, that that's one of the, the real problems here, because if you're feeling a little bit vigilant about threats, then you might worry about a threat to your reputation by talking to someone about it. So, you know, um, if, if these thoughts and feelings are getting between you and living the kind of life that you want to, then it, it could be a good idea to talk to a professional and uh, seek out some professional advice. And uh, what's the worst thing that could happen there? They say, you know what? I'm not the person to talk to. You're doing great. Or here's a book, read a book uh, with some breathing exercises. Or they say, yes, absolutely. I, I see lots of people like you. Here's the method that I use. But any, any of those outcomes are going to be more helpful if those thoughts and feelings are really making your life a lot smaller and a lot more difficult uh, to live. If it is the context-dependent anxiety like presentations, meetings, um, a really common one at the moment is, is the working from home and being detached from people and then getting anxious about what do people think of me when they can't see me or if I'm not in the office with them. All that stuff, a good place to start is just working for yourself, working on yourself. Um, the, the one mantra, if you're listening to this and that sounds a little bit like you, the one mantra, pop this on a post-it note and stick it on your monitor, stick it on your laptop. A thought is just a thought. Because all of that stuff that shows up in your mind, that your mind really helpfully gives you, <laughs> they're thoughts. They're not necessarily facts. They're not necessarily threats. Uh, if I don't do this, terrible things will happen. They're not instructions. Um, and while they might be predictions, none of us can predict the future. So to a large extent, they're unhelpful. So a thought is just a thought. Your behavior still rests with you. You can decide what to do. You don't have to be at the mercy of this um, this inner machine that keeps giving us this stuff. One of the things, uh, phrases that I, I learned earlier this year that I really like and connected with me is, is very similar. And it says, just because I think something doesn't mean I need to believe it. And, mm. and I think that that's just, I found that a helpful, helpful point. Um, and one thing I just want to call out for, you know, if, if people are um, feeling some of these things and uncertain about how to, how to, you know, open up about them, uh, it might be worth knowing that loads of people go through this. I've had, you know, bouts of significant anxiety where, where it's been, um, you know, hindering me and living the type of life that I want to live and, and working the way that I want to. And and I'm sure everybody um, that you've met has had some variation of that, some scale of that. So absolutely. And I think I think it's a really powerful thing to to treat it in the way you talked about it was sort of acknowledging that they're there to some extent, they're normal. And it's about the way that rather than trying to push them away, it's about the way that you sort of accept them and acknowledge them is, uh, I think, a really powerful way of beginning to feel like you're not in any way abnormal for having those experiences. Absolutely. You, you have thoughts of, um, of joy when you achieve something. Do you push those thoughts away? You know, you kind of grab them and want them to stay with you forever. And yet then we have thoughts about, oh, no, that could go wrong and I look stupid. We want to push those away. And, and that takes effort. That takes a struggle. And it takes us away from what we could be doing in the here and now. And it kind of is as simple as that. How are we relating to that internal stuff. Are we trying to control it and struggle with it? That does not work. That's the cheer up, calm, uh, calm down kind of <laughs> approach. Or are we willing to say that, you know, my anxious thoughts are as much a part of me as my joyous thoughts and they have a place, but neither of those 
are in the driving seat. They're just along for the ride. And if you can get your head around that and say, hmm, this, the, the, these unwelcome thoughts, uh, I need to make some space for them while I continue to do A, B, and C, that's a, 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 much, a much more sustainable um, and helpful response to that stuff that shows up. I wanted to ask you a little bit about team dynamics. I know we, we mentioned it very briefly earlier uh, in terms of not being sure about how people respond to you, but, but do you have any suggestions of how people can raise it within their teams um, such that we can people can make, make uh, raise the awareness that it's a relatively normal thing and, and seek out support? So again, you know, the, I'd like to look at this on a continuum because this, this can show up in a team when someone's you know, losing their temper or being a bit irritable or being unhelpful. You know, the root of that is they're worried about something and it might not look like worry. So again, moving away from any sense of I'm diagnosing my colleague with anxiety or saying, you know, she's, she's not being the colleague I know. I'm seeing some changes there. It's not helpful to what we're trying to do. I can imagine there's so many things going on at the moment. You can have all of those thoughts. The simplest thing to do is to, to ask her, is there any way I can help? Uh, it, it looks like uh, that's difficult for you at the moment, or it looks like you're under a lot of pressure or you're worried about something. Uh, are you okay? Um, because what we don't want to do is, is you know, be, a, be an armchair psychiatrist and, and um, make these kind of decisions about the people around us. But I think you know, it's fair to say, given the year that's in it, given the changes that so many people are experiencing in work and at home, there's going to be a lot of people with worries on their mind. So the, the empathy and talking about it uh, could be um, a really appropriate way uh, to enable someone else to open up about it too. And I guess uh, something I'd be really interested in understanding is uh, how do how should people go about understanding when their experiences of anxious thoughts are something that is relatively common and to be dealt with. And when might it be appropriate for them to think, oh, hang on, maybe this is something where I should be seeking a bit more professional support. Yeah, that, that could be. There's no one perfect answer to that, of course, but it could be, hey, I've had lots of feedback from those around me that, you know, they've noticed changes in me or I'm, I'm getting into fights with people or I'm, I'm avoiding situations that I used to like or, you know, my, my worries about certain things are, are becoming a bit, uh, taking up a bit too much space inside. Um, and then it could be, you know, seeking the support that's made available by your organization through an occupational health scheme. Um, it, it might be going to your GP. Uh, you know, all of these people that you might uh, get in touch with will, will be extremely used to having conversations uh, like this. So pushback I, I regularly um, encounter when talking to people and referring them into these systems because again I'm an occupational psychologist not a clinical or a counseling psychologist they say well I don't want to waste their time well that's literally what they're here for they're waiting to hear from you um, to uh, understand how they can help you or I, I don't you know, I don't deserve that, or I'm not bad enough, whatever that means, uh, to use this. And I think, well, hold on, why don't we let the expert 
um, <laughs> have a listen and they might be able to give you some pointers. And of course, there's the usual um, concerns about confidentiality. So it's really important. And this is a point I'd underline actually for, for psychologists and coaches working in organizations, it's really important to familiarize yourself with the employee assistance programs, the occupational health programs and so on that are available where you work so that you can talk about them with confidence and talk about things like confidentiality and access to services, because it's a real skill to be able to smoothly introduce someone to another professional rather than saying, oh, alert, alert, I, I can't help you with this. That's very off-putting for someone. And they may have, you know, really um, drummed up an awful lot of confidence to come and talk to you in the first place. So it's it's important to know that. That's a bit of a an aside, but that applies to anything. It doesn't have to be anxiety. It could be you know, substance abuse. It could be depression. It could be marital difficulties. Anything that comes up where you think, well, this isn't what I'm here to do, but I know someone who can. And to be able to do that professionally is really important. Yeah. And, and what you make say makes so much sense. If we were talking about um, a physical health concern, of course, we would go to a professional to help us diagnose and decide if it is a major problem that needs a treatment or not. And yet sometimes with things that to do with our what's going on inside our heads, we're less less confident about going out and seeking help, I think. I use the analogy all the time. You know, if if you you had a pain in your hip that prevented you from walking up the street to go and see your friend that you always see, that would bother you and you would see someone about that. Now, if your anxious mind is preventing you from going up the street to see your friend and you know it's something you would normally do, it's also a really good reason to speak to someone and say, how can I get back to the way I was? Absolutely. And and on sort of the more positive flip side, where you do um, encounter people who are having sort of everyday anxious thoughts, what sort of positive changes have you seen? What, where have you seen people um, really manage and learn to cope with their anxious thoughts and, and, and what's been sort of the positive outcomes you've seen? Yeah, and, and I do see them. And it's really, really nice because people are developing skills that are life skills that enable them to say, yep, there it is. I don't like it. It's really noisy and I'm going to continue rather than mm, have a sense of it. I don't want to experience it. So I'm going to head in the opposite direction and it allows people to flourish. To be honest, it allows them to do the things that are important to them while, and this is the really important point, while still having anxious thoughts. We're not working to remove those thoughts or the chance of them ever appearing again. We're giving people the skills to see them for what they are, make some space for them inside, and then crack on with what's important, knowing that they're there. But we don't need to struggle with them. We don't need to do anything to them. And um, what's great is that some of the methods that we can use, some of these techniques to get that distance between you and the thoughts, they, they can be very memorable, they can be very simple, and they can be quite humorous at times. And so people are able to pass these on to other people. The number of times I've heard people reflect back, a thought is just a thought. It, you know, it sticks with you. And, and that can unlock all kinds of things for people, putting themselves forward for senior roles, um, getting in front of audiences. I mean, that's a really common one because I think virtually everyone listening to this right now might feel a little bit of a shudder if they had to picture themselves speaking in front of a large audience. You know, that's a, that's a demanding activity. But if you're unable to do that at all and it's part of your job, it's really useful 
to make some changes. So I think I think flourishing, I think being able to go in the direction that's meaningful to you and not allow this this anxious mind, this this critical mind prevent you from doing it. And that's that's where I get a lot of satisfaction. That's great. It's great to hear some of those stories. Um, unfortunately, I think we are, as ever, running out of time. Uh, so I'm going to draw us to a close for today. Just before we finish up, though, Richard, is there any way that people can learn more about you and what you do and potentially get in touch? Absolutely. <clears throat> the easiest way is just to go to the website, and that's worklifepsych, P-S-Y-C-H, worklifepsych.com. Everything you might want to know is on there. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. I've learned a lot. It's been um, informative and interesting as ever. So thank you very much for me. And a thank you for me too. Thank you very much for having me. Okay, so that was our conversation with Dr. Richard McKinnon and you're back in the room with us. Um, Jane, did you have any takeaways or reflections you'd like to share based on that conversation? I guess, I guess the reflection that I'd like to share, um, and it's something that struck me a couple of times before when, we, when we've talked about issues that are similar, is how differently I view anxiety and people who share their experience of anxiety with me now, that I personally have experienced it and experienced anxious thoughts, than in my 20s when I was, you know, relatively unfamiliar with the experience. And I guess for me, that's a really important reflection uh, because... It, it highlights to me that there's lots of things in the world that I might not have experience of. And therefore it's very hard to imagine what that life, what, what that might feel like. And therefore quite hard to um, know how to behave. But the, the, the advice that Richard had around sometimes it's just about listening, I think is so powerful and so important for so many issues um, because actually if we adopt that behavior, whenever someone shares something personal or something that's affecting them with us, then we have a really good chance of at the very least helping, even if we're not doing anything else and we don't know anything about it. So I guess that's my reflection. I think that's that's powerful, right? You know, being what people need and want in a specific moment is so helpful. And I know that in the past, I've certainly been guilty of using my voice or worse off, trying to provide a solution. I mean, how dreadful is that? Um, <laughs> how dreadful is that it's pretty much what I've done my entire life so yes it is dreadful but it's a it's a difficult habit to unpick for us us solution focused yeah, people it is it is it is but it's a it's a great thing to be aware of um I guess my takeaway or one of the things I'd like to reiterate and reflect back on is the importance of this being aware and being mindful and as soon as we can sort of recognize that I'm having a thought or or use language like that around our thoughts and feelings, the easier it is, it is for us to distance ourselves and to stop being uh, in thrall to our thoughts and feelings. And, and I just think that that power of distance and mindfulness is, is a really powerful thing. Um, you know, we don't need to believe the things that we think. And, and that's a hugely helpful message for us. Um, so that's it for me. So I think that's it from us. I think it's just time to wrap up and say thank you very much. And we will see you again soon. So thank you from me. Yeah, and it's a big thank you from me and goodbye. Hi, thanks for listening to this episode of the World of Work podcast. To learn more about what we do, please check out our website, www.worldofwork.io, where you can read some great articles, learn more about the seminars and courses that we deliver, or even support us if you wish through our Patreon page. That's www.worldofwork.io. Thank you.